fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome into the program. Hey, it's a pre-Friday celebration, and I ask you the question, is it Friday yet? Holy cow, this week is going by. It goes by quick usually, but it's been kind of dragging along this week. There's been a lot of stuff going on, good and bad. And we're almost there. We see the light at the end of the tunnel. It is the greatest day of the entire week, so welcome into it. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the program, we love you to death. Thank you so much for tuning in to us. Your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Coming up on the show, Stella Morabito. She is the author of the book, The Weaponization of Loneliness. We've had her on the program before as we talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and the isolation, the isolation that we've had uh, for the elderly, the sick individuals over the last few years, the weaponization of loneliness. How have the government abused us and taken advantage of us not being able to talk and communicate with one another face-to-face. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. Uh, We're going to talk about that. But along with that now, apparently there's a new movement in society to resegregate society. Kind of fascinating. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. There's a lot to get to today, though. I'm going to try, as usual, to cram as much of it into this program as we possibly can, which I want to go down the road of nostalgia for just a moment. Could we, please? Just Oh, by the way, I (laughs) I have to tell you a... Uh, kind of a personal story that happened last night was kind of funny. I don't know where they get these stories. I don't know if she's watched too many cartoons. I don't know if they're teaching this in her school. Little voice of reason. So uh, just for, you know, for Lent, which we're not Catholic, we don't necessarily celebrate Lent, but we like the idea of giving something up, sacrificing ourselves just a little bit, you know, during this time leading up till Easter. So this time every year, this is our second or third year that we've done this in the house, is when we get home from the day. Obviously, we can't while we're working throughout the day, but when we get home from the day, everybody's finally home. We watch zero TV, no cell phones, no screen time, no movies, no TV shows. Uh, We try not to even turn on a lot of lights in the house. We try to light some candles. We cook dinner. We sit around the dinner table. We talk, which we did last night for the first time in a while, which is really awesome. We have a great time, and then we get done, and we read books. We sit in silence, we do whatever we want to do, but we try and stay away from the screen time and then go to bed without TV, which, by the way, is really nice because you can get some really awesome sleep, and it's very difficult uh, to do that sometimes because you like to just zone out and watch the TV while you fall asleep. Nonetheless, we've been doing that. So I was talking with Little Voice of Reason last night during our family time, and I asked her, and she is now in third grade, which is insane to even think about. She's nine years old, which is almost 90 years old. Trying to get ahead of myself, apparently, a little bit. Uh, And I asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up. And we like to have these conversations, kind of a fun one, a joke, ha-ha, what do you want to be? And I've told her that she's going to be president of the United States one day because I remember when she was still in mama's belly and she, I would read to her, I would not read her Dr. Seuss books, but I would read her Mark Levin books because I <laughs> I thought that that was what dads were supposed to do. You read her Mark Levin books, you teach them about constitutionality, about how bad government is, you teach them that from even the time before they're born, so subconsciously it's ingrained in their DNA, and their DNA is activated by that when they start hearing these different ideas. See, it's a, it's proper dad, dad win mode, right? Can I can I at least get that? 
So we have that. Uh, but nonetheless, so I asked her what she wanted to be for uh, when she grew up last night. And she gets the typical, I want to be a ballet dancer. I want to be a doctor. I want to be uh, a veterinarian, whatever. And I asked her, because most kids her age, especially when I was at my age, I wanted to be an astronaut, wanted to go up in space. And I asked her, hey, do you want to be an astronaut? And she goes, no, Dad, because I'm scared of wormholes. Now, now, she's eight, almost nine. How does she even know about wormholes? I'm scared of wormholes. I'm scared of space because there's a wormhole out there. Now, worm. I told her the closest wormhole is like 100 million light years away. But she goes, I don't care. I'm scared of space because of wormholes. I don't know where kids come up with these things, but it made me think, huh, you know what? Wormholes are kind of scary. You know what? I see your point. Not that I'm afraid that the, that the spacecraft is going to blow up uh, or that I'm going to get stuck in space or that I'm just scared of the big outer space that is the universe. None of that. I'm scared of wormholes. I'm scared of those too, Isla. I'm I'm scared of those too, little voice of reason. Don't you worry. Wormholes are a terrible, horrible thing. Uh, Speaking of wormholes, uh, the wormhole that is the succubi of Washington, D.C., of energy as well, uh, sucking out the life force of this American country that we have today. Uh, It is getting worse every day. Going down the road in nostalgia. You remember back in the day during the Ronald Reagan administration when they say that the nine scariest words in the English, uh, English language were, I'm from the government. And I'm here to help. Remember Ronald Reagan used to preach that? Seven words, nine words, whatever it was. I didn't count. We realized then that government was not the answer to all of our problems. Nowadays, every time there is an issue, we seem to turn towards government and wonder why they don't solve the issues uh, fast enough. Which, that is a wormhole right there because it sucks the life force right out of the country. It sucks your taxpayer money right out. And then they still don't do anything in uh, uh, that's actually of value in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I have to say, Donald Trump score one, Biden administration score zero, because the prime example of this would be the issue going on still in Ohio with East Palestine, where Donald Trump beat them to the punch, and now Pete Buttigieg makes his appearance today, where Donald Trump's already been there, already done that. That's right. Donald Trump did that. <laughs> but Pete Buttigieg, which was kind of funny if you watch any of the pictures of him out at uh, the East Palestine area where he was wearing the hard hat, wearing the jacket, wearing everything. It was kind of hilarious to uh, watch him try and partake in a construction zone, shaking his head, nod his head, watching everything that's going on, and then coming out in front of the media where the media has all of their cameras and their microphones hooked up for him to make an official statement. Wouldn't talk to people outside of his official statement. In fact, you can hear video of his people saying, no, 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 we won't talk to you with the cameras on. Let's go inside and we'll talk with the cameras off but he comes out there kind of smiles smirks thinks like he's hot you know what and that he's going to kind of dominate the industry and say hey uh, train company we're going to hold you accountable for everything because we have the authority don't act like you're not impressed yeah this is what he had to say earlier today and to any national political figure who has decided to get involved in uh, the plight of east palestine uh, palestine excuse me Uh, I have a simple message, uh, which is, I need your help, because if you're serious about this, there is more that we could do to prevent more communities from going through this. We've laid out a set of actions that DOT has taken, some of which were already underway, others which we're adding to the agenda, a set of things that the railroad industry needs to do, including better informing communities when hazmat is coming to them, something I've talked to the governor about and strongly agree with him on. Uh, and uh, including uh, steps to take care of, uh, of their workers and their system. 
and things that we need Congress in order to, to work on. And again, anyone in Congress who uh, cares about these issues, uh, they are welcome to come to the table and work with us to get things done. So apparently it has a whole lot of nothingness, a nothing burger with him going out to East Palestine trying to say that he's observing the area, that he's actually wanting to watch the scenario and watch what's going on over there, and then take a nice little jab of Donald Trump for actually being the first one to go out there, buy everybody McDonald's, bring some water, and then talk about the lack of response from the Transportation Department and FEMA and the EPA and every other organization that's supposedly out there cleaning up this effort. And then he says, well, we're just we're working on some things, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's scary to watch what's happening here, and we're relying on our agencies and departments to do stuff, and it's all going to be great. Don't worry. We're going to get this all taken care of. And uh, if you really care, all these federally elected officials or former elected officials, if you really want to do something, we could definitely use the help. Now, during the Q&A, they asked him why it took him so long to get out there, being, what, two, three weeks later, and this was his response. You know, what I tried to do was balance two things. My desire to be involved and engaged and on the ground, which is uh, uh, how I am uh, generally wired to act, and my desire to follow the norm of transportation secretaries, allowing NTSB to really uh, lead the initial stages of the public-facing work. I've just been thinking about uh, whether I got that balance right. Uh, but I think the most important thing is, first of all, making sure that the residents here have what they need, uh, something that from our piece of the puzzle, DOT, we were working on from day one, and making sure we do something for the future. Man. Man. I'm, I'm sorry. It's a whole lot of nothing, Burger. Both of those clips, the entire 10, 15-minute press conference that he held, he said nothing. We're going to work on workers. We're going to clean things up. We're going to hold them accountable. We're going to like there's nothing there other than, hey, I, I finally made it out here. Aren't you glad? Aren't you proud that I actually made it out and actually did my thing? Remember back in the day, again, the nostalgia where the government was not supposed to be the solution to our problems. I'm from the government and I'm here to help was supposed to be a horrible phrase because we are going to figure this out on our own. Leave us alone. Let us be. Deregulate us. Detax us. Let us just do our thing and we'll take care of it ourselves and make sure this doesn't happen again. In fact, if we did that, then we wouldn't have to be squabbling over Donald Trump cut regulations on train brakes, which didn't do anything about this derailment, but somehow it's his fault. And or we need to re-regulate. And if we just increase more regulation again, the government, we just control more Then all of a sudden the problems will just go away magically just like that i'm gotta be honest i'm leaning more and more towards the concept from marjorie taylor green who's gotten some heat over the last week regarding her tweet saying that she's ready for a national divorce if you've seen any of this one she was uh, sent out the tweet over the weekend and was on fox news just a couple days ago to explain what she meant by her national divorce and with seeing the response to these issues I'm kind of leaning towards understanding what she has to say here. I actually think this is a much bigger movement than most people in Washington even realize. And you can take a look at the tweets that I made just yesterday. The amount of likes and retweets that those tweets got should tell people a lot. And they're just not aware of it yet because they don't talk to regular people. You see, this isn't ending our union. This is shrinking the federal government, which we need to stop our spending. Our spending is out of control. We can abolish departments and different parts of our federal government and give states more power and control to conduct their affairs and their laws that fit the people that live in those states. 
This is more respectful towards all Americans, and it could end the fighting, and hopefully we can respect each other once again. Now, that audio from Fox News, obviously, with her sitting with Sean Hannity on that one. It's an interesting concept, which when we come back from the break, we'll kind of discuss it and break it down a little bit more. But you know what it sounds like? I'm, I'm glad. I don't care what you call it, I guess, since we have to have a new flavor, a new term, a new uh, sexy campaign to try and get people on board with certain messages nowadays. You know what this is? This is nothing more than a re revisiting, a re-earthing from the ashes that is the centralization of federal government. This is the re-emergence of a wild, crazy, radical concept we had all the way back during the founding of this nation that's called federalism. I know. I know. What a wild concept. As according to Marjorie Taylor Greene, that we would downsize the government. We would let states kind of live their own lives and do it. We're still part of a union, but we would allow states to make their own decisions and do their own thing with less government intrusion at the federal level and make their own damn decisions. If California wants to go all on board with uh, having 80% of their state budget going towards the Environmental Protection Agency to regulate butterflies and regulate grills in your backyard and the smelling odors that may float over the fence and fine you for that with a citation or if you drive some type of vehicle because you don't like the gas guzzling tractor that's in the field whatever you want to do all the power to you do it implement it and see how well it works out for you as opposed to other states that say hey let's not do that because we actually incentivize people to come here and we want people to flourish and we understand that we actually have common sense in this state and we're going to allow you to do what you need to do to survive the divorce of america Is it the revisiting of a concept long forgotten in this nation that is federalism that so many elected officials, philosophers, politicians have forgotten about? We'll do some of that when we come back right here on a pre-Friday of The Voice of Reason. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Darn right it is. Thanks for hanging out with us today. 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch, listen to the show. By the way, quick programming note for you. If you try to watch the live video stream on our partners with OpsLens, for some reason, and they get this every once in a while, there's like this glitch little cutting in and out and freezing temporarily it's only on the opslens facebook page if you go to their website at opslens.com if you go to their app if you go to their youtube channel or twitch.tv channel or uh uh, tweety channel or the getter channel it's all coming in nice and clear it's only facebook i call it and lump it up to a conspiracy with facebook not wanting the content to get out there but but that's just me so you can watch it on there you can also watch it on our personal facebook page uh, pages as well at hoosier reason that's at hoosier reason h-o-o-s-e-r reason no i in hoosier there's no i in hoosier there is however a well i don't know but there's no i who's your reason on facebook also on all those social media platforms as well you can follow us and check us out there as well. All right, so we have Marjorie Taylor Greene that is promoting a national divorce with the ongoing crisis. We have Biden that's spending all of the American taxpayer money on pensions for the Ukrainians. And I know we've talked about this ad nauseum, and so many other shows have as well. You're probably getting sick and tired of it. But this is the reality of the situation today. You have an administration that does not give a you-know-what's-rip about you at all because you, they want your taxpayer money that they just expect – and think that you're just going to willy-nilly hand it over because, well, the government needs it. And if the government needs it, they have a higher priority than you as an individual citizen. In fact, 
That's proof when they lied to you day in and day out about the economy. We heard the headline today from the federal government saying that economic growth for the fourth quarter last year was not as high as what they thought. It was supposed to be at 2.7% growth. It grew at 2.5%. So it wasn't a whole lot of a change, but it was still down slightly, which I find ironic when I remember seeing during the uh, 9, 7, 8, 9% inflation rates in this nation at that time, during the holiday shopping especially, that the headlines from all of the mainstream media and the federal government were, hey, don't worry about it. People are still buying just as much. The tax revenue is coming in just as much. The government's growing just as much. You're spending just as much and buying just as many goods. Don't worry, everything's wonderful, everything's great. The interest and the inflation rates are not affecting Americans. They're still out doing their thing, buying whatever the hell they want to. And that may be to a degree. I still lump it up to the fact that we're not spending more, we're just spending the same amount of money, but that constitutes as buying less product out there, which all in all hurts the economy because you're not buying more goods, you're buying less goods for the same amount of money, and that's a cause for concern. But the federal government was hyping up, don't worry, everything's wonderful. Now we see the report of, well, it wasn't quite as good, but don't worry, January was a record-breaking month for both job growth and for the amount of money being spent in tax revenue coming into the government. So don't worry about it. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm tired of the lies, man. And I know probably you are as well, which is why I got to be on board with this whole Marjorie Taylor Greene thing, this national divorce, which is nothing more than the concept of federalism. And if you don't know what federalism is, I would recommend not probably Googling it because they've changed the terms online. So I would recommend you probably go to a Webster's Dictionary, the hardback copy, probably prior to like 1990 or to the 2000s. And you could probably get a good definition of federalism. But that's what we are supposed to be. Under the United States of America, we are supposed to be so- – I know this is a wild concept, so listen up, other side, because you might learn something here. We are supposed to be sovereign states. We are sovereign individual states that have signed a compact contract, essentially, that is the United States saying that we will give up a portion of our rights in order for us to have national security – limited oversight by the federal government, but really to handle things that have all of our interests in mind, which is interstate commerce, foreign policy, and national defense. Outside of those issues, federalism means outside of those specifically granted by the Constitution, the states have all the rights and powers to do whatever they want to. It's essentially living in their own separate countries within these states with the laws that they have with an overpowering slight oversight from the federal government. It's a wild, absurd concept in today's times, but it's being reborn again under the concept and idea of a national divorce this between is states. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. John Wright of this. Welcome back into the program. Moving through a pre-Friday celebration here all over the place. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation. One radio listener at a time. Multiple radio stations all over the place. More coming on, by the way, too. Some information on that here relatively soon. Also, our TV, live streaming, podcasting platforms. You can find us all over the place. If you can't, then what the hell's wrong with you, man? Great to have you today. We'll get back to this conversation regarding uh, federalism, or as Marjorie Taylor Greene calls it, the national divorce. <coughs> Excuse me. It's essentially a a uh, just a new plan for federalism. 
downsize the federal government, give states the power to regulate their own lives, do their own damn things, and leave us the hell alone. And the prime example of why we need to do that is when we hear Pete Buttigieg out there in East Palestine, Ohio, and give us absolutely no idea on what he's doing or what he's working on to solve the issues. And to any national political figure who has decided to get involved in uh, the plight of East Palestine, uh, Palestine, excuse me, uh, I have a simple message, uh, which is, I need your help. Because- <laughs> I need your help. I don't know what I'm doing. Donald Trump beat me to the punch, and now I'm forced to come out here and make an appearance. Oh, uh, the federal government. It, he apparently can't even pronounce the name of the town because he does not care about rural America and small-town America, which is really the heartland of Republicanism in some way, shape, or form. So uh, there's a piece on MSNBC that we'll read a little bit later on probably tomorrow about how uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's idea of a national divorce would ruin Republican states. All right. Well, good luck with that. If we did that as well, then good luck uh, with the agriculture and the blue states that ruin and hate rural America anyways, too. We'll get to that a little bit later. Let's get into what's trending. What do you say? What's trending today? Interesting conversation nonetheless. Now, talking about the divorce that we have in this nation, which is unfortunate. We just talked to a few weeks ago, if you know the name uh, by the name of David Isay. He is the founder of the Our Stories Corps and uh, One Small Step program, which is trying to find people from different sides of the aisle to come together and talk and have a conversation. Different cultures, different backgrounds, different seeing that, hey, we have common ground and we can actually all get along together. We don't have to be so divided. But at the same time, when you give the government the power, the elites, the crazy mobsters at the top, when they control things, they are dividing. It's the dividing conquer mentality, and it's all about the identity politics to where now we're actually promoting the concept of resegregation in this nation to somehow battle racism, which I just quite don't understand. Excited to have back on the program. It's been a while since we've had her on the show. She is the author of The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. Excited to have back on here Stella Morabito. Stella, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on, Andy. Oh, it's Great to be back. It's so good to have you back. I loved our conversation last time, and what a fascinating conversation, because last time we talked a lot about your book with, really, this started with COVID. We isolated. We put you in the glass wall here. You can't have human contact. You need to wear the bubble. You need to wear three different masks. And the loneliness to divide and conquer was a threat then, maybe the social experiment and the testing for now, because the resegregation is essentially the same thing here, isn't it? You shouldn't be around people of different skin colors or cultures because, well, you'll probably be fearful of them or you'll oppress them in some way, shape, or form. Yes, this is classic uh, divide and conquer. It's uh, how isolation is used to socially engineer societies, and it's been used many, many times throughout modern history, which I point out in my book also. But uh, that's absolutely right. Uh, We are being divided. We're being uh, isolated in many different ways. Uh, You know, with COVID, of course, it was literal. But, uh, you know, there's there's all of these political machinations, like this resegregation that make absolutely no sense uh, to keep us away from each other, to keep us from seeing one another as unique human beings. I mean, that's the whole purpose of identity politics. Yeah. You're yeah. not a unique person, you're, you know, with your own personality. Instead, you're like a member of some demographic, and that's it. 
it's very troubling. The big question is, why do we go along with it when uh, we see someone of a different culture, of a different whatever? I mean, we're in the globalization time frame now. We have social media where you can video Skype with someone from all across the world and talk to individuals. You would think it would be harder than ever now to segregate ourselves and isolate ourselves from someone that is different, however that may be, religiously or skin tone or heritage wise or whatever. How are we going along with this? Yeah, no, that's a that's the central question, and uh, you know, I say that it goes back to a very powerful impulse that all human beings have, which is to avoid ostracism, to uh, avoid social rejection, and to you know feel that you're connected with other people. It, it's a trap, of course, because this kind of, it always leads to isolation and segregation anyway when you comply with it. But, uh, but the impulse is there, and it's very strong. And when you have all these media outlets, you have all of these, you know, big tech and everybody and these corrupt institutions and woke corporations telling you all this stuff, then you get the impression that I'm going to be rejected if I don't go along with this. So people tend to go along with it. And the reason I wrote the book was to try to lay out some of these patterns and dynamics so that we could become more aware of how they operate on us and within us uh, so we can build counter strategies and, and get out of this trap. Yeah, very true. When did the resegregation begin? I mean, I remember hearing a headline a couple, actually probably a couple years now, where they started trying to divide some college campuses with dorms rooms with black individuals and white individuals because that, that way we could have black day on campus and white day on campus and all this other garbage. I mean, I was born in 1988. I went to college in 2007 for my freshman year, 2008, whatever it was, and I don't remember seeing that. So this seems like at least to that level seems to be a relatively new movement here, isn't it? Well, I think it's been in the works for a long time. Uh, I think, uh, you know, totalitarian movements, tyrannical movements, they really do need people divided. So they have to, especially if people are starting to come together and, and uh, you know, people are developing friendships and strong bonds, they can't abide that. Um, you know, you need isolation. As I mentioned before, Hannah Arendt in her book, uh, The Origins of Totalitarianism, makes the point that tyrannical governments are always going to try to bring that isolation about because otherwise you can't control people. You can't control them through terror or whatever else. But I have one other thing I want to add to that, and especially if you're talking about segregation based on race. Um, you know, back in the 60s when Martin Luther King made his speech, his I Have a Dream speech, and he had that very iconic quote, um, you know, about he looks forward to, I've forgotten the exact words, but he looks forward to the day when his children will be judged on the content of their character and not on the color of their skin. Yep. Well, what I find ex extremely telling, because, you know, you ask, when did this all begin? Well, in 2011, when the memorial to Martin Luther King was dedicated in Washington, D.C., there were 15 inscriptions, well, there are actually 16, they got rid of one, uh, but, uh, but there were 16. Fifteen inscriptions, if you look at it today, and not a single one of them is of that iconic quote about being seen as a unique human being, uh, an individual, not judged by race. And now that's all been erased. Yeah. Um, we, we aren't permitted. In fact, if you look at the writings, uh, you know, with critical race theory, this guy can be says that uh, colorblindness is a mask to hide racism. 
I mean, that's the way they put it. So, um, you know, obviously you can't win for losing. You, it's, it's just, uh, it's set up as a trap. Yeah, it is unfortunate. We're talking with Stella Morabito, author of the book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, which you can find online on her website, StellaMorabito.net. Do you think that people like being in a group? We mentioned the identity politics, and it's a really a groupthink mentality is I fit in with this group, whether it's skin color, whether it's my religious views, whether it's whatever. I have a hard time with that. I guess I'm kind of one of those rebels. I mean, I'm a conservative talk show host that has a braided mohawk tattoos, and I like heavy metal music, so I don't quite fit in with the whole norm of what conservative talk radio is supposed to be like. But uh, people like to be in certain groups that they feel comfortable with. Does that make it easier for them to try and be put in this box to be able to be divided from somebody different? Okay, well, no, first of all, I think there is a healthy sense of belonging where you maybe you have a club, you have a common interest, or, you know, people like certain, you know, the same kind of music or whatever, or they have their own heritage and traditions. That's actually very healthy when it's practiced on a kind of a decentralized scale. Sure. Like every family is different, every faith tradition may be different, every community. Uh, that's not what I'm really talking about. I'm talking about this move towards turning us into kind of a conglomerate. Everybody thinks exactly the same. Um, and, and yet they use identity politics to get to that point. It's very counterintuitive. I mean, they divide us up. You know, they, and I put it, uh, you know, I, I, the term I use is vivisection of America. They slice and dice us, you know, intersectionality and all these different forms of identity <laughs> politics. But the end result is an atomized individual, an isolated individual. If you keep going down that path, and then, you know, there, and, or that everyone is forced to go along with the same narrative, and there's nothing diverse about that at all. Yeah. But that's where that train is headed. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you're spot on. There is a difference between being proud of a heritage and where you come from and then trying to isolate it. I mean, nowadays, it's. I think it bleeds into the, well, if you are interested in another culture or interested in another religion or interested in something else, then you're culturally appropriating, and now that's bad because you're not allowed to be part of that. When you should be prideful of, hey, I'm proud of my heritage, proud of where I come from, and proud of what I'm doing. I want you to experience this as well while I experience some of what you're doing. That's the melting pot that we live in in this nation. That's why we're the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Stella, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Awesome. I love it. I love the conversation because the big question is now with those that do fall into this trap that like the divide and conquer, where do we go to bring them back? How do we get them back on track? Are they too far gone or can we win them back over? And what are the steps to do that? We'll do that with Stella Morabito. The Weaponization of Loneliness is her book. Go and check it out. Lots more coming up. One more segment right around the corner here on The Voice of Reason. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. John Ryder is welcome back into the program. we got a few minutes left here of the show. Flies right on by. Fastest hour of radio on, well, radio and all the great, wonderful radio stations that we have all over the place, plus our podcast, our live streams, and a heck of a lot more. We're hanging out today with Stella Morabito, author of the book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, 
and conquer, which they love to utilize, and they've done it for years and decades beyond. And as you mentioned, Stella, I mean, it's that, it's that fear of isolation. Then you do isolate, let's say now a group thinks where you have a certain group that's isolated from another certain group. When you are isolated from them, you don't understand them. The lack of understanding leads to fear. The fear leads to hate. The hate leads to violence. And we get to see the conquering of what we see right now from the establishment. So the big question is, as we have the few minutes left here, the program is, how do we stop this trend and those that do fall on this bandwagon that are saying, hey, I don't like you because of your skin color or because of what other group and that's led to this violence that we've seen with an increase in hate crimes across the nation? How do we stop this trend? Well, I think we need to become a whole lot more aware of the patterns and the dynamics. That's why I wrote the book. Uh, I think we all kind of understand instinctively that we're afraid of ostracism. and That's why we'll shut up about what we believe. Uh, but how to stop it is we just have to talk, and we have to talk more. And those of us who have a higher threshold for risk have to kind of lead the way. And um, as more and more people uh, are able to discuss these things or to just express what they really believe, uh, that can create a cascade because, uh, like, in a, not just an opinion cascade, but kind of a cascade of truth. Uh, we have to get out of this habit. And I think once pe- more, enough people break the habit, um, that, that can open things up. Uh, for example, there have been times where I have uh, expressed what I believe to someone who might have implicitly trusted me but didn't know me that well, but like a neighbor or someone, and I've been surprised that the person came out and said, wow, you know what, I thought I was the only one. Um, and, and as you, you know, as we reconnect with people or connect, um, that, that whole kind of set of dominoes can can start falling. But we have to use our free speech because free speech is use it or lose it. Now, not everybody is going to react that way. You might be talking to somebody who gets mad at you and doesn't agree with you. But I think most of the time uh, people have been conditioned into these beliefs through the nonstop 24-7 media that tells them what they need to believe in terms of all this identity politics and politically correct ideas. And uh, But if more and more people just started speaking up about what they really believed uh, before, you know, before we get to the real gulag stage, you know, mm-hmm. uh, then, then I think uh, there's a good chance of reviving civil society. And the last, the last chapter of my book is called The Wrench in the Machinery of Loneliness. And I talk about a lot of different ways that people can try to get around a lot of this. And, uh, but, but first of all, it's about developing these what, what are called parallel policies, little communities of, of um, wh- where you do speak out. Uh, you know, it's important to have people you partner with also who believe as you do so that you don't feel like you're totally alone, like when you're in a group. That, sure. You know. So anyway, I you know I talk I talk about a lot of that. I write about a lot of this at the in the last chapter. But I think it's really really important that we develop awareness of these patterns and we speak up not just about these patterns, these dynamics, but about what we really believe. Amen to that. It's what it's all about. I think we should need we need to lead by example. I saw a study just a, I don't know a few months ago that showed that in this whole idea of division and racism and all the other things that rural communities, small communities, small, you know, small town USA all over the country, 
they were the best at not dealing with that because it's such a small town that there is a diverse population there and everybody just gets along and they don't buy into the ongoing division and hatred that we hear from the mainstream media. Maybe that's who we need to look to to try and solve some of this as well. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the strength of real, uh, genuine relationships is exactly what tyrants hate. And the more we can reach out and develop those kinds of relationships, like you said, small-town America doesn't have to be in small town. It could be, you know, anywhere, really, where you develop strong relationships and, you know, communities of, uh, you know, people just get together and and uh, can talk. Yeah. Have a conversation. Get to know one another. Find that common ground. And guess what? You won't hate each other nearly as much. Although, that's those, right. those people that listen to rap, I don't know about that. There's a, That's another conversation. <laughs> it's Stella Morabito. Go check her out. StellaMorabito.net. Go check out the website. Also, the book as well, The Weaponization of Loneliness. Stella, it's so good to have you back on the program. I love the conversation. we got to do it again soon. Thank you so much, Andy. Really enjoyed it. Always a pleasure, my friend. Back tomorrow for a Friday, wrapping up the week. we got a big one lined up to wrap up the week for you. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change in your own community. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.